Hi, this is Tiffany Bobo. Welcome to this edition of the What's Next podcast, where I have the wonderful pleasure of welcoming Jonathan Brill to the show today. He prepares leaders to profit from radical change. He is the author of Rogue Waves, a speaker and advisor on resilient growth, decision-making, and innovation under uncertainty. His practical advice is based on decades of experience as an entrepreneur and the former global futurist at HP, and is a managing partner of innovation consultancies. He is managing director of Resilient Growth Partners and a board member at Frost & Sullivan, a major market intelligence firm with offices in 46 countries. He blows off steam, I love this, as the futurist in residence at Territory Studios, the creative visionaries behind the sci-fi tech in Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, Ghost in the Shell, and Blade Runner 2049, where he creates products and better worlds for both supervillains and real-life heroes. Welcome, Jonathan, to the show. Thank you so much. You make me sound uh, far cooler than I am. <laughs> I know. When people read my bio, I say, can you just call my mom and tell her that's what I do? Because she thinks I fix printers or something. I don't know. I don't know what she thinks. <laughs> but we're going to get started today on something I call bullish and bearish. Nothing too painful. Bullish, you're for it. Bearish, you're against it. And like everybody I have on the show, I know that it might fall somewhere in between. Or you might have some comment, but try, try if you can. Bullish, bearish, and then we'll go back to it. Are you ready? I'm looking forward to it. All right. First one, robots doing industrial design. Bearish. All right. Well, let me ask a question. Software okay. robots? Soft software bots doing industrial design? Sure. Let's go with that. Uh, I, I, I think that model-based design is going to become really important, but I think there's a lot of human oversight. Okay. Fair enough. All right. The next one, virtual reality amusement parks, bullish or bearish? We've seen this happen a number of times I'm, and not quite make the cut. I, I'm curious what happens next. All right. We'll go with that. Bullish. I'm going bullish. All right, we'll go with bullish. All right, the third one, remote work, bullish or bearish? Yes. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm bullish, know. I'm bullish. Okay, well, I normally ask questions, you know, I try to weave in the space one, but in the last two weeks, we've really sort of ticked off the box on, you know, uh, <laughs> sort of consumer space travel. So I sure, sort of skip sure. space. I yeah. skip space. <laughs> All right. So let's get started. Um, I, I really would love to dig into Rogue Waves, uh, you know, your new book. I think that it's a, a great foundation for us to have a conversation about what's been happening in the last sort of year and a half. Uh, but let's start with the with the basics. What is a Rogue Wave? So when we look out at the future, there are 10 or 15 major trends that are that are going to shape it. And they're individually manageable, whether it's, you know, changing demographics, whether it's emerging technologies, um, uh, whether it's social changes, you know, changes to the social contract, uh, uh, things about privacy. Uh, but what really happens, what happens when they overlap? When you take a look at something like COVID or the floods in Germany, you know, each of the things that happened were individually manageable. Uh, but when they overlapped, they went exponentially. They, they got out of control. So we, when you take a look at COVID, you know, we saw two novel respiratory pandemics in this century, in the last 20 years. Uh, 
since 2010, we've seen two novel respiratory diseases appear in the Wuhan area. So what was different about this one than the other ones? It wasn't that it was radically more infectious. It was that we put a population the size of Los Angeles into the wilderness around Wuhan, where we knew that respiratory diseases were common. That's why they have an infectious disease lab there that focuses on that. Uh, We built uh, cities to house 400 million people in similar ways, uh, the population of the United States, more than that, uh, around China. We connected them by high-speed rail. Uh, And since 2010, the amount of tourism out of China has increased 10 times, moving it from an insignificant spender to the largest tourism spender in the world. So while COVID might have been containable, all of these things that stacked on top of it, independent of any politics or whatever, made it uncontainable. And so that's the difference between a regular shift, uh, a regular disruption, and a rogue wave. The thing about rogue waves is that while they might be a surprise to some, in many cases, it's possible to prepare for them uh, and even uh, predict when and where it's possible for them to happen. So, you know, this might be a obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So what's the difference between a rogue wave and a black swan event, which is fairly similar, right, in its there, concept? So there, what, what's there, the, what's the yeah. difference in that? Fairly, fairly similar, but completely different. So a black okay. swan is an incalculable event. It's, it's a thing that you cannot predict will happen. Uh, and what I'm arguing is that most of the time, what people call black swans are actually rogue waves. Eight of the 10 largest uh, publicly held companies in the United States failed to identify pandemics uh, as a risk in their SEC risk filings uh, and their 10Ks. And and yet, when you look at the Office of Net Assessment, uh, when you sit in the rooms that I sit in, uh, leaders were telling, uh, thought leaders were telling Fortune 50 CEOs that this was an issue. Uh, the Office of Net Assessment in the Department of Defense uh, in the United States has said this is an increasing issue. And, and so it was a known problem. We just chose to not pay attention to it because it, it was uh, outside of our lived experience. Right. And I, and I, you know, I think the reason I asked the question was twofold was I love the answer, but also because I remember when uh, COVID-19 was sort of named and was really started to, to make its way around the globe. Uh, the author of the Black Swan event said, this isn't a Black Swan event because of what you just described, right? Mm-hmm. If you were looking at the signals, you collapse them together. This isn't something that was unforeseen. It was just when it was going to happen, not if it was going to happen. Well, kind and, of one and, thing, right? It, would you agree with that? I, I would absolutely agree with that. I didn't know that, that Nassim had, had said that. That's, that's fascinating. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and I think that's a lot of actually the point he makes if you read the book. When you think about risk, I think there are really you know, four characteristics that you want to uh, pay attention to. Yeah. So when you think about risks and how they're changing, uh, when you think about the the difference between a black swan and a rogue wave, uh, you can start to predict you know four of the major kind of categories of game theory the the the, the kind of the the rules that underlie the rules of of systems uh, is is the risk uh, is a static risk becoming dynamic, which is what happened with rogue waves. It's what happened with the floods in Germany that these things that were supposed to be hundred year storms were suddenly not. 
right? They become, they started happening more frequently. Uh, are asymmetric risks becoming symmetric? So is this a thing that really only happens in Asia and suddenly it's happening everywhere? Uh, are these things that were asynchronous? So you used to have time to respond to a pandemic suddenly becoming synchronous where literally overnight, by the time you discover it, it's everywhere. And, are these things permanent or are they temporary? And I think what's really interesting when you take a look at the new uh, mRNA vaccines is it took a permanent risk in the United States, right? Of we're going to, we're going to live through COVID until we have herd immunity and suddenly made it something that's manageable. It made it a temporary economic issue. Um, That's a profound shift in human history. And so when you take a look at, uh, rogue waves, when you take a look at black swans as well, the question really is what do they do to the underlying dynamics of the game and how will they impact your organization, whether it's your finances, whether it's your operations, whether it's your external environment or whether it's your strategy. Uh, one of the things and we were talking earlier about most uh, large companies in the United States, most of the largest companies in the United States, missing pandemics as a threat, uh, it points to something that I think is happening increasingly in organizations, which is we focus disproportionately on financial and operational issues, because that's what analysts want us to focus on, as opposed to external and strategic threats and opportunities, which are really the things that are more likely to create sustained decreases in firm value, or new opportunities. So when you take a look at a company like Amazon, it's really easy to look at them and say, hey, they had too much money. Uh, They had all the smartest people. They had great infrastructure, all of those things. Absolutely true. But what I would ask you is if you were given all of the budget you wanted to do all of the things you wanted, could you absorb 10 years of growth in three months like Amazon did? I mean, they they didn't buy a Fortune 50 company. They built a new organization the size of the Ford Motor Company in 90 days. So the question is, are you ready to pivot? Are you ready to take advantage of external and strategic changes? And I think that gets you to this conversation around resiliency and growth. Uh, I think if nothing else through this entire pandemic, it has highlighted the resiliency and our lack thereof in companies being able to navigate anything like this, you know, or even having things like scenario planning in place. Like if a pandemic hits, what's the scenario, right? If, you know, our supply chain is impact, what's the scenario? Like to your point that not looking out far enough for some of these um, rogue waves that may, may actually be in the cards, but someone isn't paying attention to the combination of them. And so how do you sort of, what is the kind of ABCs of that resilient growth, if you will, uh, because of what you just described, because I don't know how many people would get a unlimited budget and go figure it out. So, so what do you do? So there are two issues. <laughs> you can't prepare for every rogue wave. That's that's absolutely true. Uh, and and the second is that you can't necessarily identify exactly which ones are going to come down the pike. Uh, what you do want to do is you want to look at your financial, operational, and external. Uh, issues, capabilities, um, 
and figure out like what happens if your financial strategy is off? What happens if you have a capacity issue? What happens if you have a litigation issue? What happens if you have a pricing issue? Just to take an example from each of those four buckets. And what if they're caused by a shift of something uh, static becoming dynamic, something synchronous becoming asynchronous and so forth. And that gives you the ability with just looking at a couple of things to radically increase your resilience. And the reason that you want to do that is that when you take a look at the next 10 years, whether it's social change, economic change, technological change, uh, we're moving into a far more volatile world. And in that world, you can't prepare for everything, but what you can prepare for is the reality that you are more likely to be disrupted than to be the disruptor. And I think that's really critical when you start thinking that I'm more likely to be disrupted than to be the disruptor. How do I take advantage of that? How do I, instead of trying to just recover, how do I exploit that moment? Because that's your opportunity for growth. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said for if you're interested in disrupting your business, you need to be willing to disrupt yourself first because some of this is sort of these success uh, uh strategies, these success, um, you know, behaviors that you've had historically that has made you grow faster, right? Be a market leader. And now all of a sudden that isn't the case and you can't kind of go back to the status quo. You got to sort of reimagine. And so if you're going to try to respond to disruption, would you agree that you have to, you know, look at yourself and the culture and the management as well first? I, I would go higher level. Uh, I, I think okay. there are two things, you know, one is, you know, incentives and priorities set at the board level trickle all the way down. And while they might make sense at the at the C-suite, at the senior executive level, once you get to the middle manager level, like often that's where things break. And what you want to do is create what I call the ABCs of resilient growth. Uh, you need to have awareness of uh, the issues that are going to cause the, this, the, the rogueways that will disrupt your business and you need to push that down into the organization. That's something that Salesforce does a really good job at, by the way. Uh, you need to look at behavior. Like, you know, you can stand on the beach and know that the tsunami is coming, but if you don't have the skills to take advantage of it, to be resilient to it, it doesn't matter. So you need to build better decision-making, executive, executive judgment skill sets deeper into the organization if you want your people to be able to innovate uh, when change happens. And by the way, as a leader, if you don't do that, what occurs is that you become the blocker at the very moment that you need everybody to be most innovative because you're the only person who understands the context. You're the only person who knows how to make complex decisions. Um, in a world of volatility, you can't operate like that and succeed. The third piece of the ABCs of resilient growth, so we talked about awareness, we talked about behavior change, is culture change. Uh, in so many organizations, we do human resources, learning and development training, so on and so forth. We, we talk about megatrends. Uh, we do all of that stuff. And then we create a culture that and, and incentives that just cut all of that off. And so you need to design processes and incentives to drive resilient growth. And that's really what my book is about is, is how do you link these three things to create that resilience that you need when the rogue wave hits. When I was at HP, we did a lot of work on all of these on all of these uh, things, and the result 
was that when when the when COVID hit, you know, HP was stable over 2020 in terms of its revenue. Uh, its competitor, the company that actually tried to to buy it with Carl Icahn, Xerox, uh, their earnings per share were down 60% or 69% by gap. And so there's there's real value in starting to think about how do you become resilient as an organization and how do you use that uh, as an opportunity to pivot, as, as an opportunity to do things that you couldn't do in normal times, either because... Uh, of cultural issues because of management issues, uh, because of incentives, or because honestly, your competitors were looking and competing on those metrics instead of just trying to survive. And so as an individual contributor, because I, I love that you said that kind of you know starts at the board, works its way down, might get a little bit roadblocked or reinterpreted at the middle manager level. Um, but uh, but let's talk about individual contributors for a second, because people that are listening to this podcast might be an individual contributor and goes like, look, I just show up every day. You know, I don't have any ability to impact the board or my executives. And, you know, I'm trying to to um, be resilient day in and day out. Right. And what I do and what my role is from, a, a, you know, a business perspective. And so is there anything you could sort of recommend if we started at the individual contributor, work your way up to mid- middle management, work your way up to executive, that you would sort of guide them around these ABCs and, and really thinking about resilience and preparing for potentially a rogue wave. Absolutely. There are, there are things you can do as an individual contributor contributor if you don't uh, design incentives uh, or if you... Uh, don't fully control processes. There, there are things you can do just in your day to day, right? Think about uh, when I think about innovation, we, everybody's got a different flavor of this, uh, but they talk about how we've got to move from captaining to coaching, right? From the leader, having the vision, uh, having command and control, maximizing predictability, you know, so on and so forth to creating that shared mental model and, and coaching and learning and, and all of the things uh, you hear on every leadership podcast, um, but what you don't hear are what are the criteria for moving from captaining to coaching? And I think that's really important because it's, it's subject matter expert. You can help build these in organizations and they're really what create the resilience. They're really what create the trust, uh, by leaders that they can let their people, uh, innovate without, you know, checking every, uh, every third second. The first is, have you built a shared mental model? The second is, are you encouraging people at all levels to report the impact of changes? And have you given them the communication skills so that everyone can comprehend? And that's is a, is a senior subject matter expert, like a, often a simple thing, like just here's how you frame this argument. Um, can you, do you empower individuals to coordinate or do you block them off? And there's a lot of incentive issues in there, right? About who's in control. And if one person hears something before another person, what happens, so on and so forth. Um, but have you empowered individuals to coordinate experiments without excessive intrusions from above? Because if you don't block, if you don't create that protective uh, skin, you know, leadership will always want to push down. And, and find out what's going on. How do you understand, uh, uh, does everyone understand the overall goal of the team? And when I talk with large organizations, this is so often the case, right? You you talk with the board, you talk with the C-suite, you even talk with the you know uh, divisional presidents, 
they all understand the big picture. But then you get down to middle management and they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. They're doing it because their boss told them to. So if you don't understand the overall goals of the team, you can't innovate on the team's behalf. Um, is the team motivated to see the goal achieved? And this is a constant battle, especially in matrix organizations, right? Uh, my interests might not be your interests, especially in a mature organization where, you know, maybe we're looking at cost reductions and, and, and how to optimize uh, the, the organization. So you've got to figure out, you know, is everybody motivated to, to achieve the same goal? If not, how do you reframe the goal? Uh, do you understand the context uh, that you're working in? So this is different than understanding the goal and the mental model. Do you understand how different the world is going to be when COVID hits? Right. I would argue that very, very few people did. And very, very few leaders said, historically, when these kinds of disruptions have happened, here's what it looks like. Here's how long it looks like. You know, here are the financial, operational, external, and strategic impacts of a, a situation like that. And that's a lot of what I do with organizations is helping to map what that looks like, helping to communicate what that looks like, either as a threat or as an opportunity. And do you have, uh, does, does the team have a fast feedback loop with the captain? If they don't, you know, the, the, the leader is going to get really, really concerned, especially in uh, a, a shareholder-driven environment that maybe, you know, maybe their reporting's old, maybe their data's old, so on and so forth, but they've got to hit the quarter. They've got to report out every quarter. So you've got to figure out how to tighten out, up those feedback loops so that the captain has the data that they need. And I think about this often uh, like an octopus. So there's something interesting about an octopus, which is it's got a big brain, uh, but it's got nine, uh, nine neural uh, clusters, one for each uh, one for each tentacle. And so if you start creating this common mental model and so on and so forth, what becomes possible is that the, the big brain can start to identify what are the larger priorities, but it can start to push down authority. It can start to push down innovation lower and lower and lower in the organization so that it can adapt more quickly and it can make more decisions when they need to be made. Well, that was so fantastic. And what I loved about it is, uh, you know, the very first section of my book, Growth IQ, was all about context. And, you know, when people ask me questions when I was early in my advisory career, I would just answer. And I learned I was probably doing a disservice to them by doing that until I realized that until I understood the context of what's the environment, what's happening, like what are all those signals that are piling up? What is your culture, which is very different than anybody else's? Like, what is your you know, all of those things. And so when you think about something like, you know, I wake up one day and I want, we're going to innovate faster than we ever have. We're going to push out, you know, three new products and that's what we're going to do. And the culture doesn't even know how to absorb it. Like the example you gave about AWS, like how many people could stand up a company in 90 days, the size of like, you know, the other top 10 largest companies in the world. I mean, it's impressive. Right. And so, um, you don't need to do that. It's also a mindset. I mean, and you hit on this. And so if there's anything I can give from, you know, what you just said is listen to those steps, listen to those different categories. They have impact and they're meaningful into how you would actually listen to this podcast and then action it Monday morning, right? Differently than you might have done otherwise. Is, is that is that fair? I, I think that's absolutely the case. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, we talk about change management as it's a, 
as, as though it's a thing that happens on Tuesday. I mean, this is a muscle, right? <laughs> this is a muscle. You've got to exercise it every day. Uh, you don't you don't get to do these heroic things because you've announced it to investors. Uh, it's an everyday process, either that or it's highly traumatic. Yeah, and and I think that it's also at especially at this time, there's a high level of anxiety. There's a lot of burnout. Like you know, people are saying they're more productive than they were before. I don't know if that's good or bad, but you know, getting sort of life um, space for life and a little bit more balance and all of that, I think also comes down to this entire resiliency and planning, you know, and being responsive to the context of the market and and what's happening. And so I'd love to wrap this up with, um, where do you think the biggest opportunities are for people that are listening that if, okay, I've heard everything you said, Jonathan, great. I understand. Can't wait to read the book. Um, but but what's sort of that that thing that you think is, uh, if you had to pick one or two uh, opportunities that you, that you think uh, people are not paying attention to, that is going to have some meaningful impact. Well, I I think when you look at any business, when you look at any industry, it's easy to say that it's matured or I can't play or whatever. The reality is that differentiation opportunity are based on basics, right? Are you communicating well with your team? Are you communicating well with customers? Uh, Are you creating value uh, that you can't, uh, that other people can't create? And that all comes down to exactly what we've been talking about today. Uh, We talked a lot about risk management, risk mitigation, but you can take these same tools and you can apply them to your customers, right? How do you, how do I take a financial operational uh, external or systemic threat that my customer faces uh, and use those game theoretic ideas of moving from synchronous to asynchronous, uh, symmetric to asymmetric, temporary to permanent and so forth and, and start to flip those switches for them because that's when you create massive value in whatever industry uh, that you're in. Just moving, uh, figuring out how to take dynamic threats and make them static, that's that's what caused the insurance industry, right? When the insurance industry came into existence uh, in, in a mature way, this literally funded nation states. The more of these risk switches is what I call them that you can flip, the more value you can create. When you take a look at Amazon, when you take a look at Uber, when you take a look at Facebook, when you take a look at Salesforce, what did they do? They flipped all of those switches at the same time. And that's why their multiple is what it is. It's because they were completely disruptive to the market and they completely changed the lives of their customers. Well, Jonathan, that is a fantastic way to end this incredible conversation. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on today and talking about your new book, Rogue Waves, and all these amazing insights. I hope that all of you found it really inspiring and will help you sort of craft what the future is going to look like for you and your organization. So thank you again, Jonathan, for joining us here today on the What's Next podcast. Thanks. You can find more information about me at jonathanbrill.com anytime you want. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. What a fun conversation with Jonathan Brill. You know, I love when people are really pushing us to think differently every single day about how we can not only grow our businesses, 
but personally invest in that disruption ourselves. So I hope you found the ABCs of resilient growth, uh, what is a rogue wave and how you can balance all that is coming at you simultaneously to help you be more successful in your own day-to-day lives. So thank you again for joining me on the What's Next podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave uh, some feedback, share with your friends, and I'll catch you the next time. Thank you so much.